like you've never known is Christmas in Killarney with all of the folks at home. Melikilikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright The sun to shine by day and all the stars at night Melikilikimaka is a wise way to say Merry Christmas to you. Melikalikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright. The sun to shine by day and all the stars at night. Melikalikimaka is Hawaii's way to say Merry Christmas to you. Christmas will be green and bright The sun to shine by day and all the stars at night Melikilikimaka is a wise way To say Merry Christmas to you Melikilikimaka is a thing to say On a bright Hawaiian Christmas day that's the island greeting that we send to you From the land where palm trees sway Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright The sun to shine by day and all the stars at night Melikalikimaka is a wise way To say Merry Christmas A very Merry Christmas A very, very Merry, Merry Christmas to you
All right, you guys. It is time for service. Woo! Welcome. Who's excited to be here tonight? Another whoop. Thank you. It's, I know it's a really, really busy time of year and a busy week. We're like, what, five days away from Christmas? Some of you that might, I might be scaring you a little bit, stressing you out a little bit, but (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, It's coming, but I'm excited that you guys are, you know, sacrificing your time and showing up and God has got a word for each and every single one of us tonight. I believe that. Um, And so we're excited that you're here and that you took time out of your busy week to be here. And we want to welcome our online audience too. Thank you for joining in. God has got a word for you as well. So stay tuned in. I just have a few announcements to get through and then Pastor Kevin will be bringing the word tonight. Okay, first announcement. This Sunday, Christmas Eve, we are having a service, a Christmas Eve service, 10 a.m., It's only going to be one hour, you guys. It's going to be short, but it's going to be full of so much, so you don't want to miss it, okay? Because we're going to have baptisms, first and foremost. How exciting! And, like, what a better day to get baptized on than Christmas Eve. That's, like, really awesome. If you're interested in getting baptized yourself, you still have time. So all you have to do is come find one of us, one of the pastors after service, and we'll get you signed up to get baptized on Christmas Eve. Um, We're also going to be partaking in a communion that day, and then we're going to be taking up our special Christmas offering as well. So if you can be here, we would love to have you and to celebrate the birth of Christ um, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, truly, he is the reason for the season, right? So what better place to be um, the day before Christmas than here at church? Um, Next announcement, Train Bible College is currently on a winter break. However, uh, it does start back up January 8th, and we do have um, availability. So if you're interested in taking any classes, even if it's just one class or you want to enroll full-time, Jesse Lindley is your guy. I don't see him, but he is your guy. Find him, and we have some availability. We have some spaces open. So find him, and he will get you signed up, okay? Last announcement, and I mean, if you haven't heard this announcement by now, you might be living under a rock, but Vision 2025, Vision 2025 uh, is a vision that God gave Pastor Greg uh, for Lake Church so that we could be debt-free and pay off all of our buildings by the year 2025. It is self-explanatory, but it is mighty, okay? And it is an opportunity for us, you guys, to sow into something so much bigger than ourselves and to sow into what God is doing through Lake Church. Uh, You're sowing into his kingdom, and you're going to have um, such an opportunity to just... um, to be a part of something that we never would have got to if we didn't have this opportunity to give to Vision 2025. And also, I'm kind of believing that if I give to 2025, maybe I'll be debt-free by 2025 too on a personal level, amen? That's what I'm claiming in Jesus' name. Um, So that kind of leads me right into tithes and offerings. That's all the announcements. So it is time for tithes and offerings, the best time of the night. Hallelujah. Uh, we have a lot of ways to give here at Lake Church, okay? You can give online at lake-church.com. You can text to give. The number is on the screen. 
you can give in the church center app, which is my personal favorite way to give because it's really, really convenient. And if you need help figuring out how to download the app or find it, find me. I will help you because it's so easy and I love technology. But if you don't love technology, we have a way for you to give too. Uh, there are envelopes in the seat back in front of you. This is probably like the most reliable way to give also. Uh, all you got to do is fill that out. And then on your way out of service tonight, you can just drop the envelope in the bucket back there by our lovely usher. And that is, it's that simple, really. We couldn't make it any easier for you guys just so into God's kingdom. Uh, and that's all I have for you. So I'm going to say a quick prayer to bless the offering. And then Pastor Kevin will be coming up for our word tonight. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to join together in your house to learn more about you and what you have for us in our lives. We know that there are so many places in this world that don't have this opportunity, and I just personally never want to take that for granted. Um, So thank you, thank you, thank you for this opportunity. And I thank you for um, sending your son, God, to this earth over 2,000 years ago uh, to be our sacrifice. I love you. I'm just so grateful, and we all are. I ask Jesus that tonight you see our offering and our tithes um, and that you use it to further your kingdom um, and that you use it to bless the hands that gave tonight, Jesus. We love you. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Please open our minds, open our hearts to truly hear what you have for us. Help us to forget all the distractions that we had earlier today or that we have uh, waiting for us when we get home and just truly focus on you. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your beautiful and holy name that I pray. Amen. Good evening, Lake Church. All right, so we're going to get into the Word tonight. Before, before we do, though, let's just stand and let's just begin to uh, take a minute just to recognize the presence of the Lord. You know, um, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, He said, I'm in the midst. Amen. So whether you've seen something or felt something tonight... Jesus is here by His Spirit. So, Father, we just thank You so much for Your presence. We thank You for Your faithfulness, Father God. We recognize that You are here among us, and we yield to Your Spirit right now. We pray as we begin to open the Word tonight that You would just flood our, the eyes of our hearts with light, revelation light. We thank You that You begin to just show us things, the unseen things of Christ, so that we might grow thereby, that we might become more mature in the image of Jesus and more effective at reaching the world, Father God, for your glory. We just thank you for your eternal word tonight. I just pray that I would be able to speak clearly and concisely the truth of your word, Father God. The depths of your revelation We just thank you. We just exalt you tonight, Father. You are so worthy of all of our praise. So worthy of honor. So worthy of honor. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. For your precious body and your precious blood. That was broken and shed on our behalf. So that we could have the forgiveness of sins. And be in covenant relationship with our Father. We thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your indwelling presence. 
That you came to live on the inside of every believer forever. That you don't come and go, but you're always with us. You're always within us. We thank you, Holy Spirit. And we look to you tonight. We look to you tonight, Holy Spirit, to do within us and do through us what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. So we are looking at uh, Galatians chapter 4, continuing our study. If you haven't been with us this whole time, we have covered a lot of ground up until this point. And um, we're going to be looking at chapter 4 tonight. We kind of went into the first seven verses of it last week. But just to kind of review a little bit so we can launch forward into uh, the rest of the chapter tonight, I just want to remind you. Well, I do want to say this, that the theme of chapter 4, as I studied, what sticks out to me is this is really about uh, slavery versus sonship. It's slavery versus sonship. Do you know that you can operate, you can be a son and still operate as a slave? And I would say that many, many believers, even though they are truly a child of God, truly a son of God through faith in Jesus Christ, still live as slaves because slaves don't have access to the inheritance. Many believers are not taking full advantage of all that Christ provided for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's because we don't know who we are and we don't know what belongs to us. We're still trying, many of us, because we have religious mindsets, legalistic type thinking, we're still trying to qualify ourselves for things Jesus already qualified us for. We're trying to become something that Jesus already made us in Him. And many haven't internalized the truths of the gospel to where The Holy Spirit has been able to take the Word of God and reveal it as our reality. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Word of God uh, reveals truth to us, but the Holy Spirit bears witness to that truth and convinces us that it's our reality. How many of you know that if you have accepted Jesus, you are a new creation, a new creature? That word new means new as in something that never has existed before. A new creation in Christ Jesus is a man united with God spiritually to to where he has become one spirit with Christ. A being that has never existed before. But many people, they have that intellectually, but they don't have that in their heart to where they have truly internalized that, to where they truly at the... On the subconscious level, they believe that about themselves. And therein lies the problem. We're not convinced. We aren't convinced of what God says about us. And so we're easy prey for the devil to just come along and deceive us, tempt us into doing things that are outside of our identity of who we truly are in Christ. That's the way he operates. See, the enemy can't make you do anything and he can't do anything to you without your cooperation you know the old uh, saying the devil made me do it that's absolutely not true the devil can't make you do anything he can deceive you into doing things by making you believe things about yourself that aren't true you know that's what he that's what he did to eve adam and eve he came along and he said 
You know, if you partake of this, you'd be like God. They were already as much like God as God could make them. He said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion. So God made mankind as close to himself as he possibly could. They were already there. But the enemy deceived them into thinking they needed to go after something that God was withholding from them. Oh man, church, we have to wake up. We have to realize. In fact, in that last verses of chapter 3, it said, If you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are sons of God. And the word son there is the word weos. In the Greek, which is the same word for son that is used for Jesus when it says he was a son of Abraham or a son of David or the son of God. It's the kind of son that Jesus was. We are the same. Man, how many people don't have the confidence to say that about themselves? You know, I have the same sonship uh, with God as Jesus has. A lot of people would think that's blasphemy, but that's what the Bible says. And the enemy wants to convince us that that's not true. So we live outside of our inheritance. Another thing the devil tells us is that your inheritance is in heaven, that you get it when you die. But did you know that you don't get your inheritance when you die? You get it when the person who leaves it for you dies. We've been deceived. I don't get an inheritance. When I die, it don't do me any good then. But when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, our inheritance was released to us as sons and daughters of God. Amen? Amen? But we have to be convinced. So in the first uh, few verses of chapter 4, he talked about the fact that when you're a child, you may be the heir of everything. But until you reach an age set by the Father or a level of maturity, you're just like a slave. You're not able to partake of the inheritance. And what he was talking about is that as long as Israel was under the law, they were not able to be mature enough to be a partaker of the inheritance. In fact, all of our study, we've been talking about the fact the law was never given to bring us into salvation. It was only given to show us our need for salvation. It was to lead us to Christ. But once we come to Christ, there is no more need for the law. Why we are now not guided by the letter of the law, but by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. This was God's intent all along. He prophesied in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'm going to put my spirit in you so you'll be able to walk according to my ways. That was God's intent all along. The law was a temporary measure to show us our inability to live the life of God's design. So that when Jesus came and made His sacrifice, we would run to the cross. So you can't appreciate the provision until you understand how deeply you need it. I've been thinking about, you know, since I've been studying this. I know this will probably shock a lot of you that have heard me preach a lot. But I've just 
had a new um, sense of awareness of the importance of the law. We need to understand the law, not so we can keep it, so we'll quit trying to. Mm. See, the, the law is supposed to drive us fully to Jesus and the faith so that we would trust fully in what Jesus has done for us and not in what we're trying to do for Jesus. That is the problem. And I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but that we talked last week about the purpose of the law. And we only uphold the law for why God gave it when we quit trying to justify ourselves and we look to Jesus to justify us by faith. See, I'm saying a lot of things that it's taken me years to really be able to embrace. But this will set you free. This will set you free from sin. This will set you free from addiction. This will set you free from disorders and sickness and disease because you'll be able to quit trying to qualify yourself for things Jesus already qualified you for and just begin to enjoy the benefits of what He has provided. Quit trying to work for and just accept what Jesus has already given to us. You know, he goes on and he says that when Jesus came, he came to provide the adoption of sons. Let me read that. I have that right here. It says, um, when the fullness of time had come, this is Galatians 4.4, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. This adoption of sons is something that we don't understand because in our Western mindset, we have adoption that isn't the same as the biblical adoption. See, in Western thinking here, people adopt a child when they can't have one. So they adopt a child who doesn't have their same DNA so that they can have a kid, you know. But in this culture, they adopted their own children. See, the adoption of sons wasn't so much to take a child you didn't have, but it was a recognition of a child reaching the age of maturity. When their child got old enough to be seated in sonship and be able to have access to the inheritance, they were, it was called the adoption of sons. See, you were, they were adopting someone that already had their DNA. And that's the way it is with us. If you're born again, you have the DNA of God. Mm. And when you reach the place of maturity where you understand what God knows about you, you'll be able to partake freely of everything that belongs to Him. Why? Jesus said in John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit would come to show you that what belongs to the Father belongs to Him, and what belongs to Him belongs to you. I'm going to say that again, because I think that just went right over your head, because if you actually understood what I said, you'd be a lot more excited about it. (laughs) 
Jesus said that what belongs to the Father belongs to Him. And what belongs to Him belongs to you. And the Holy Spirit came to convince you of that fact. (laughs) Why? So that you could partake of it. So you could have the experience of it in your life. Oh man. The adoption of sons. And then he goes on and he says that... uh, He goes on and says that we are all sons of God. And because of that, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. That word, that that phrase, Abba, Father, that's the same thing Jesus said to God when He was in prayer. Hmm. We have the privilege now to address God the same way Jesus did. Why? Is it just a privilege we have in principle? No, because we literally are born of God. He literally is our Father. Why, we've been born of Him. That's what John chapter 1 says. It says, to as many as believed in Him, He gave the right to be born of God. See, I can tell. It's just going, it's just hitting people in the head and bouncing off. (laughs) You go, yeah, I know that. No. No, you don't. (laughs) Because it's not an intellectual knowing. See, biblical knowledge is not intellectual. That's the problem with the modern church. We think biblical knowledge is intellectual. So if I know the verse, I know it. Well, you don't know it as God intended you to know it. Because biblical knowledge is not intellectual, it's experiential. Until you experience the reality of it, you don't know it as God intended you to know it. Mm. That means anything I'm not experiencing or I'm not doing, I don't know it as God intended me to know it. I don't really know it. I may have the concept, but knowledge in the Bible is an experiential word. There are several Greek words for knowledge. And I've talked about this before. It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you see the picture of something. Maybe you haven't had it before, but you can look at the picture and be like, man, I can see all of these things about it. And I can imagine what it would be like to partake of it. In fact, I always use the, <laughs> I always use the example of the uh, molten brownie thing that they have at Chili's. You know, it's a, it's a hot brownie that has a scoop of vanilla ice cream on it, and then that chocolate that hardens comes with a pour on top of it. And then you dig into that, you break that, and you dip down into the ice cream and then down into the the brownie and you take yourself a big old bite of that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Man, see, you guys are perked up now. Wow, we just need to talk about food. Church folk love to eat. I can tell you that for sure. I grew up around church. Church folk love to eat. Because they gave up all their other other vices. (laughs) But listen, I can tell you about that. 
Is there anybody that never has had one of those? Have you never tried that? Man. Oh, oh, there's a few people. I can tell you all about it. I can describe it to you and everything. And that's a form of knowledge. But knowledge as God intends is that you actually experience it. And until you do, you don't know it the way that I know it. See, God wants us to know as He knows. Man. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he prayed that we would have the knowledge of God. It's not just to know Him or know about Him. It's to know what He knows experientially. Mm. Because if we could ever know the way that He knows and get in agreement with Him, we could walk in what He intended for us to walk in. Mm. And so He sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our heart to begin to bear witness to these things that belong to us in Christ so that we could actually experience them. And when we do, how do you know? Because there is a response. That's what he says. He sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts whereby we cry, Abba, Father. When you get that revelation that God is your true Father, it comes out of you. It's the response. It's what Paul called the Spirit of faith. I believed and therefore I speak. That is when you truly begin to apprehend and comprehend The knowledge of God. And then he said, and if children, if we're children, then we're heirs and heirs of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't partake because we qualify ourselves. You don't earn an inheritance. You're born into it. You're born into it. No one earns an inheritance. Now I know that there's some ungodly Ways people do their kids, I'm going to write you out of your inheritance if you don't act. That's not the way God is. When you're born into an inheritance, it belongs to you. Okay? And so I want to start reading now. We're up to verse 8. I'm going to start reading a little bit here. and We'll just kind of move along and see where we get. He says, but then indeed when you did not know God, you served those by which nature, those which by nature are not gods. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Now I talked to you last week about the uh, elemental spirits of the world. We talked about that. How that this refers to the uh, principles of religion that apply both to paganism and to Judaism. Okay? They're all the same. Legalism and paganism operate by the same principles. You get what you deserve. Okay, And so these elemental spirits, these are the spirits that use a legalistic, a, uh, legalistic principles to bring you into bondage of religion. To where you are trying to earn God's favor. What's wrong with this is that it's predicated on a wrong image of who God is. 
all of the uh, paganistic religions start from the foundation of trying to appease an angry and retributive God. Zeus and these different mythological gods have a nature and character that's not the same as our God. As the true and the living God. John said this, God is love. Okay, he's not the same as Zeus. But how many of us had this picture of God sitting on a throne with a lightning bolt in his hand, waiting to zap you every time you mess up? That's not the true picture of God. That's not the God I experienced when I came to know him through Jesus. Oh no, I I came crashing into the love of God. What's Romans 5 say? (laughs) That He demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the revelation of God. Even in the Old Testament, they didn't have the full picture of who God was. I'm glad God didn't say, if you want to know who I am, go to Job. (laughs) No, 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 no. Jesus said, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. That means anything I believe about God that I didn't see Jesus doing is a wrong impression of who God is. Because He was made fully known through the life and ministry of Jesus. Oh man. And so these elemental spirits of the world or the cosmos, which we've had a lot of teaching on that. We know all about what that is. It's talking about the world system. They want to get you wrapped up in religion. They don't care which one. Any ism will do. It's the same principles. And in fact, I read to you from Thayer's uh, concordance last week to where it talks about the principles of religion that man was indoctrinated in before Christ, both pagan and Jewish. Why? The principles are all the same. Legalism and paganism are the same isms with different labels. And so we talked about that. And that's what he was saying there. Let me get my iPad open back up. I don't have the same one this week, so it's giving me fits here. He says, but now after you have known God or rather been known by God, and here's what's important, that you're known by him. Man, how many of you remember, uh, I mean, I hesitate to even get into this scripture, but where Jesus said, depart from me for I never knew you. See, that's what matters. You know, I'm going to have to mention, I'm going to have to talk about it now because (laughs) I opened the can of worms. (laughs) But Jesus said, why do you say, and not everybody says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. See, he said, for many will say in that day. What day? In the day of judgment. They'll say, didn't we do many good works in your name? I'll say a couple of things about that. First of all, when was the day that they call him Lord? The day of judgment. Not before. See, people teach you, this is talking about believers who've confessed Jesus as Lord, and then they didn't do it. See, the first thing he says... In that passage of Scripture is that he talks about it's those who doeth the will of the Father who will enter. Well, you know what? We ought to let Jesus define what that means rather than just apply our own thinking to what that means. 
Well, in John 6, 40, Jesus says, this is the Father that you believe on the one whom he sent. There you have it, clearly and plainly. But he also says, in that day, in the day of judgment, he's speaking to the Jews. They knew Yahweh, but they rejected Jesus. But in that day, when they stand before him, they're going to recognize who they're looking at. And in that day, they're going to say, but Lord, didn't we do this, this, and this? And that reveals to you what they were trusting in. There are many wonderful works. And I'm telling you, not any wonderful works are going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. There's only one work that will get you into the kingdom of heaven. And that is the perfect and finished work of Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. That's the only work that you can trust in that's going to get you entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Mm. You say, well, you don't believe in good works? I absolutely do, but I believe in good works as a result of faith. Not as a way of getting to faith. If you truly believe the gospel and you truly have a relationship with God, good works are the fruit of a relationship with God. In fact, Romans 6 says, holiness is a fruit of relationship with God. It's not the root. It's the fruit. But we get all worried about, you know, seeing the fruit. But we bypass the means of getting there. It's to be known by Him. And the only way that we're known by the Father is through Jesus. Okay, But these weak and beggarly elements to which we desi- they desire to be in bondage again was talking about the principles and the spirits that use the principles of religion to put people in bondage. In fact, it says in earlier verses that, that we were enslaved by the elemental spirits of the world. And that we... We were delivered from those by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because our redemption's complete. We no longer have to try and work for it. That's what liberates you from religion, is realizing that Jesus paid it all. Oh, man. Look at this verse in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware. Here's you a warning. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. That's the phrase that is the same as the elemental spirits of the world. And not according to Christ. Even legalism is not putting the focus on Jesus' works, but putting the focus on yours. Look at this verse, Colossians 2.20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, same phrase, elemental spirits of the world, and some translations say that, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Now, if you study that more closely, 
what you'll find is he says, don't let anybody judge you about following after feast days and Sabbaths and new moons and all of the things that they followed under the law that they were required to follow under the law. He said, don't let anybody judge you in regard to those. In other words, if you want to keep those or observe those as a way of learning things about what Jesus was the fulfillment of, that's fine. But don't you go putting that on anybody else. As they have to do all these things to either be saved or be more spiritual. See, that's what people like, is they want to be more spiritual than you are. That's why legalism is so attractive to people. Because if I can do more than you do, then I feel better about myself. But when we truly understand the gospel, we realize that all of us fall short of the glory of God. And the only thing that we have to stand on is what Jesus has already done for us. He says, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulation? So he talks about that, and then he talks about asceticism, which is uh, abuse of your body to try and bring it into subjection. Only through faith can we bring our body into subjection. It's not our willpower that does it, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that does it. Through revelation and identification With Jesus Christ. That's how we bring the body into subjection. You know, because anybody, even a lost person, can treat their... There's a lot of asceticism in religion. Denial of the body and, and harmful treatment of the body. That's all religion. In fact, he goes on to say, if you go read that second chapter, that this is... It has an appearance of religion... But it's of no value in bringing the flesh into subjection. Man, I tell you what, I'm saying some stuff right there. Because so many people get mixed up in that. Even in the name of Christianity. Okay, so let's go back to Galatians 4, verse 10. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. That's what the Galatians had fallen into. These Jewish People were coming along behind Paul, and Paul never taught them about the law. But the Gentiles were never subject to the law to begin with. They were excluded from it. So he just preached the gospel, got them saved, got them filled with the Holy Spirit, taught them the gospel, and then these Jewish people came along behind and said, Oh, well, that's great. You accepted Jesus, but now you need to be circumcised. You need to start keeping the feast. You need to start doing all these different things that were a part of the law. And that's what he's saying here. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. What's he saying? You have turned away from the thing that matters, which is what Jesus did for you, and now you're putting all your trust in what you're doing for Jesus, thinking that it's making you more spiritual, and it's not. It actually blinds you to the realities of Christ. It's actually the way the enemy blinds you to the glory of what Jesus has done on the inside of you. Because what the law does is causes you to focus on the outer man. And what Jesus did for you was a work that was done in the inner man. That's what we need to see. We need to be awakened to the reality of who we are in the hidden man of the heart. The part of us that's one with Him. The part of us that what's true of Him is true of us. 
The same love, the same nature, the same character that He has now has been deposited in us by the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to love the unlovable, to forgive the unforgivable. But we can't do it by our own self-effort. We know good and well that we're not able to do that. The Christian life isn't hard to live. It's impossible to live. That's why we needed the Holy Spirit. Because we couldn't do it. (laughs) He says, I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. Let me share you this. This is an amazing thing here I found. You know the minister John Wesley. I don't know if you've heard of him before. But I didn't realize this about him. But John Wesley served God for years and wasn't even saved. Mm, I thought it would probably go over about like that. <clears throat> Listen to this. He was the son of a clergyman and a clergyman himself. See, here's what I was talking about a week or two ago. A lot of people that grow up in church or grow up in a Christian family, they assume they're a Christian because that's their heritage. But Jesus said, if you're going to see or enter the kingdom, you must be born again. Why? Because our problem isn't outward, it's inward. And you can't change your nature. You have to be born again. Listen, if your nature hasn't been changed, you're lost. I don't care what religious stuff you do, your religious activities can't cause you to be born again. John Wesley was the son of a clergyman and he just became a preacher too. Because his dad was. It's kind of like when people mark on a form, well, what are you? Are you Muslim? Are you Christian? Are you Hindu? Oh, well, my family's Christian, so I'll just mark Christian. We just See, that was the problem the Jews had. They thought automatically, because they were sons of Abraham, that they were automatically in the kingdom. John Wesley was a clergyman. Listen to these things. This is, this is crazy. He was orthodox in belief, faithful in morality, and full of good works. He observed both Saturday and Sunday as the Sabbath. Here's the thing about religious people. He's just making sure, because there's a dispute about which one's right, so he just observed both. (laughs) Doesn't sound like faith to me. Sounds like fear. He sailed from, listen to this, he sailed from England to the American colonies as a missionary. Remember, he's not even saved. He studied his Bible, prayed, fasted, and gave regularly. This is testimony, not mine. Do you know none of those things save you? And in fact, even if you're saved, you have to do those with the right motivation for it to be a good work. If you're doing it out of fear of retribution from God, that is not a good work. You know what that is? That's a dead work. When you stand before the Bema Seat of Christ, you're going to have a bonfire because it's all going to be wood, hay, and stubble. Mm, I'm trying to help you. Here's the thing about that day. We're all going to have some wood, hay, and stubble. (laughs) But we pray we get ourselves right 
And we're able to serve God out of a sincere faith and love so that we have some gold, silver, and precious stones. Listen to this. Yet all the time he was bound in the chains of his own religious efforts. This is what he said. Because he trusted in what he could do to make himself right before God instead of trusting in what Jesus had done. Later, he came to trust in Christ, in Christ only for salvation. And he came to an inner assurance. Here it is, guys. He came to an inner assurance that he was now forgiven, saved, and a son of God. This is what we're talking about. Listen, I grew up around church, and I thought it was all about what I did. I found out... One, I found out that it was all about what Jesus did. I put my trust in him and I received an inner assurance that I was not only forgiven, but I was saved and I was now a son of God and a new creation in Christ Jesus. And things I wrestled with for decades fell off of my life. Why? Because it wasn't me by my own self-effort trying to stop and change my behavior. It wasn't a part of who I was anymore. Mm. And the Holy Spirit takes away the desire for the things. Mm. He'll deliver you, but let me finish this. Looking back on all his religious activity before he was truly saved, he said, get this, I had even then the faith of a servant, though not the faith of a son. There are many people that are operating as slaves and servants to God and not understanding and enjoying what it means to be a son. Mm. That's what he's talking about here. He said, I'm afraid because you have gone from the revelation of being a son through your union with Christ and now you're a servant living like a slave. Even though it all belongs to you, you're not partaking of it. Because you're trying to qualify yourself for things that Jesus already qualified you for. You've been deceived. How many have been deceived by religious duty? Well, the only reason we would fall into that is if we don't understand to begin with. You're not going to try and qualify yourself for something that already is yours. You got money in the bank? You're not going to go and try to talk a teller into giving you your money. You're going to make a demand on it. Why? Because you know it belongs to you. Mm. Okay. Let me see here. I have lost my thing again. I apologize. Okay, so... Verse 12, he says, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You know what he's talking about? Paul actually was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He meticulously followed the letter of the law. But when he came to faith in Jesus, he turned his back on all that stuff. Read about it in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about all of his, you know, all of the things that he had done. He said, according to the law, 
the righteousness that's in the law? He said, I was blameless. He basically said, if you want to compare your um, own righteousness and holiness to me, let's get it, let's, let's line them up. Because he's like, there ain't nobody who can stack up against me when it comes to the works of the flesh. Just, just get, let's get it. <laughs> Think about that. But all of the things that he had accomplished, he said, you know, I, I give them all up. I count them as dung in comparison to just receiving Jesus Christ as Lord. And he said, I pray that I be not found with a righteousness which is of the law, but the righteousness which is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only one that's going to matter, guys. That's what he's talking about. He says, become like me, for I became like you. Because Paul, he gave it all up. So that he, could, he, he gave all his, his religious, legalistic observances up and became like a Gentile. Look at this. We read this in Galatians chapter 2 when Paul was uh, addressing Peter. And he said, uh, Paul said this to Peter. He said, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? What was he saying? Peter, you gave it all up. And now because you're legalistic thinking and these other people that have come around, you're trying to put these religious laws, this legalistic type of relation to God on them now. And they were never under it to begin with. Paul's saying, become like me because I became like you. Now they're falling into the same trap that Peter fell into. He's saying, change. Don't go down this road Become like I became. Verse 13. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. I'm going to read through some verses and I'll say a little bit about it. My true trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? What was he saying? When he first came, they welcomed him just the same as if he was Jesus Christ. He came preaching the gospel. They believed. They accepted. They welcomed him. And in fact, he was in a place of infirmity, which there's a lot of different thoughts about that. But I truly believe that it was due to him being stoned and left for dead. He'd been hit with rocks and killed. And when he was preaching, he must have been a mess. <laughs> um, and they didn't even let that bother them. They cared for Paul. He said, now all of a sudden, these other people have come in. And now, because I'm trying to help you and tell you the truth, have I became your... You ever felt like that before? You're trying, to, <laughs> you're trying to help somebody and tell them the truth, and now all of a sudden, because you're being honest with them, you become their enemy? He's basically just saying, what has happened? And here it is. He said, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they, yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. So what he's saying is, these Jewish people that came in, they weren't coming in to try and help the Galatians. 
It was all self-motivated. See, religion wants followers. Religion is built on power and money. Mm. See, that's whenever the Pharisees started getting upset with Jesus, when they saw the crowds. Why? Because they saw their power and their money leaving. And these Jewish people were coming in not because they wanted to help. They wanted to boast in their followers. They wanted power and money. That's what they were after. They weren't after them. Here, let me, this is a side note. But this will help you. Flattery is manipulation. If somebody is overly flattering to you. You know, Proverbs says that's a trap. (laughs) And the reason people fall for it is because they want to believe their own headlines. (laughs) See, the reason people fall for flattery is because they really want to believe what them people are saying. (laughs) You know, and so... They fall for it, and that's what these people were doing. They were coming in, they were flattering the Gentiles, and they were trying to get them not to follow God, but to follow them. Man, you got to watch out for that. That's what religion is all about, groups. It's about boasting in their followers, boasting in their power, boasting in their money. And that's what they were doing. Paul said they, they're not zealous over you they're zealous over themselves their only interest in you is what you can do for them let me find this again here they zealously court you but for no good yes they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them but it is it is good to be zealous in a good thing always And not only when I am present with you. I've said this before. I talked about it earlier in this teaching. But in Romans 10. uh, It said that they had a. People who were involved in legalism. Had a zeal for God. But not according to knowledge. Just because somebody's zealous for God. Doesn't mean they're operating in divine principles. There's only one way to relate to God. That's by grace through faith. Never by law and works. The difference is, are you operating uh, by trusting in a promise from God? Or are you trying to perform for God? That's what he's going to talk about in this next section. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now. And change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Paul had poured his life out for these people. I mean, he died. I say he died. He was left for dead when he was stoned. He basically died and was raised from the dead. The disciples gathered around. He was raised from the dead and went right back into preaching. You know, that should tell you what his level of sacrifice should have told the Galatians. This guy cares about us. He said, I labored over you. 
I labored over you that Christ be formed in you. That is, listen, that is our heart as ministers is for to see Christ formed in you. Mm. It's that you receive the inheritance of God. I'm not talking about things, I'm talking about Him. To be an heir, to be an heir of God. He's our portion. The prize is to be transformed into the same nature and character that he is. Mm. If you're in it for anything else, listen, I'm not saying that there aren't a lot of blessings that come along with being a follower, being a son, because there is. I'll tell you what, my life before Christ and my life now are night and day. So blessed. God has been so good, so faithful. He wants to bless you. In fact, he wants people to see his blessing upon your life so they can tangibly know it's real. But that isn't the reason. (laughs) The true prize is him. You know, the highest form of worship is imitation. You want to be like the person you see Uh, The person that you admire the most. That's natural. The person you you, um, admire the most, you want to be like them. Maybe we haven't admired him to the level that we should. Maybe we haven't, because of religious thinking, we haven't been able to clearly see just how good he is. Hmm. Do you know that the Israelites, I'm just kind of off the, off the deal now, but did you know that what they couldn't believe? They couldn't believe that God was so good, that, that he delivered them out of Egypt because he wanted to be good to them. It says that in Deuteronomy chapter 4. They said, why'd you bring us out here to die? He didn't bring them out there to die. He said, I'm taking you into a land that flows with milk and with honey, and you're going to be a great nation. God had promised to Abraham that he's going to bless them. He's going to make them a blessing. That he's going to raise them up above all of the nations of the earth. And they would see how good God had been to them, and they would be jealous for their God. And they said, why would you bring us out here to die? You know what they couldn't believe? They couldn't believe how good God was, that he just wanted to be good to them. I say there's a lot of believers like that. Hmm. Selah. <laughs> Think about that. He does. You're his beloved. You know what? My kids, you know, it, you can't even, those of you who have kids, you know, you just can't even communicate to your own children the way that you feel about them and what you want for them and we think we're better than God come on on. think about it Would, would we will anything for our own kids less than perfect health what less than them having every need and some desires that are good for would we will anything less no we want the best of the best of the best for our kids And if we could give it to them, we willingly would. Why? Because we love them. 
They are the apple of our eye. They are our beloved. They are ours. They're a part of us. When we look at them, we see ourselves. Think about it. That's the way God is. When he look, he's looking for in you to find what is like is what is him in you. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's what Paul was trying to convince them of. That God had proved his disposition toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died not for the godly, for the ungodly. That passage of scripture says that we were helpless. Without strength, we could do nothing about our condition We were strangers. We were enemies of God. We were ungodly. We were sinners. And in that condition, God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm. And then we have a wrong understanding of who God is and we're going to try and feel like we have to prove something to Him about who we are so that He'll do something for us. Come on. He already proved to us. See, the gospel isn't about us trying to convince Him of us. It's about Him trying to convince us about Him. (laughs) That's it. That's what the gospel is. It's a pronouncement of God's love for us in that He withheld nothing. In fact, He gave Himself in our place. To pay for our sin so that we could freely be forgiven, justified, and made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And receive a brand new nature, a new heart, a new spirit. In fact, he said, I'm going to put my spirit on the inside of you. (laughs) Hallelujah. And if he didn't withhold his son, how could we think he would not, with, along with him, freely give us all things? That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. But we wrestle with it. I don't know why. I think it's just because we've been indoctrinated with this legalistic type of thinking that causes us to be distant from God. And it's not on his side. It's on ours. He can't get any closer to us than in us. (laughs) He moved in. Go ahead, Marie. Come on up. Think about that. We think, oh, well, God can't come into our presence. You know, people have those types of thoughts. He can't get any closer to you than in you. The very fact that the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of you proves that you are forgiven, justified, and righteous. (laughs) When we were unsaved, our temple was not cleansed for Him to dwell in. But when we received Jesus and we received the atonement and the forgiveness of sins... And the blood is applied. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that blood sanctified you. A vessel for His glory. 
for His glory, not to abide on, but to abide in. devil is a liar those wrong things that you've thought about God which caused you to see yourself wrong those are lies mm. hallelujah father we just give you praise tonight oh we thank you for your goodness we thank you Lord that you healed us inside that you're healing us from the inside out. Hallelujah. Let's just stand real quick as we close. Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that these words, that they would just, you know what I see? I see these words. This is what I see in my heart. I see the word agape, which is love of God. And I see people wrapping their arms around that word. You know what I see that? People embracing the fact that God's love toward them is the same as it is toward Jesus. And I just sense that there are people here tonight that are for the first time maybe allowing themselves to embrace God's love for them. Why they've been working so hard to try and prove their love for God, they have missed the revelation that empowers that to be a reality. The revelation of God's love for them. Hmm. Our love for God is just a response to the revelation of His love for us. And I'm telling you what, love is what He is, so love will heal you. Love will deliver you. No, not the world's love. I'm talking about agape. I'm talking about the divine nature of God will heal you from every sickness. Heal you from every disease. Heal you from every addiction. It'll heal you from every disorder. If you would be bold enough, if you'll be bold enough to reject the lies of the enemy and embrace the truth of God's love toward you. Listen, God doesn't love you through Jesus. There, there's a lot of religious thinking that will say, tell you that God only loves you because of Jesus. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is because of God's love for you. Hmm. I'm going to say that again. God's love isn't for you isn't because of Jesus. Jesus is because of God's love for you. He manifested in this earth because it was the love of God on display for mankind. Mm. There is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do 
to make him love you any less. If there is, you're more powerful than God. Mm. I'm telling you what, I feel somebody's getting free on this tonight. If there is, you're more powerful than God. Now we can grow in our love for him. But we can't change his love for us. He, here's the problem. We think He loves like we love. We've made God in our image. Rather than us being made in His. Oh my goodness. The reason we can't love like God loves is because we think He loves like we love. The reason we can't walk in forgiveness the way God forgives is because we think He forgives like we do. Oh, with strings attached. See, what we, believe, what we have believed in is we've believed in the unconditional, conditional love of God. We were taught it. We say it's unconditional, but then we put conditions on it. telling you what you can embrace that in fact fear people tonight are struggling with fear in their lives fear that God might not come through you know what that is a manifestation of a lack of revelation of the love of God A lot of people, they, oh, well, it's just because I don't have enough faith. Faith and fear are not opposites. Fear and love are opposites. Oh, my goodness. Faith works by love. See, we thought faith and fear were opposites. So we're trying to use our faith to get rid of fear. And if you had just embraced the love of God, fear would leave. It's the result. You know what the lack of fear is? The result of knowing how much you're loved by God. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Faith Faith isn't the opposite of fear. Love is. The only reason you have fear is you have not been convinced of the love of God. Because mm, if we truly knew His love the way His love is toward us, there would be nothing that we would fear. Because if God is for us, <laughs> who, what could be against us? Who, what could be against us? Nothing. There's nothing that can stand against our God. And when we know that He is for us, nothing can stand against us. Amen. Father, we just praise you tonight. Thank you so much for your sweet presence. Continue to renew our mind to who you truly are. To your nature, your character, your disposition toward us. That we internalize these truths 
so that it changes our life, Father God. And if there's anybody here tonight that you don't have the assurance that I talked about earlier, the assurance of sons, then you don't have to leave here tonight without it. I want to offer maybe somebody watching online. We've presented the gospel tonight. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. And then you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Why, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's the most important thing. So we want to extend that offer to you. Anybody here in the house, we're going to have ministers up here. And then if you've never spoken in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we want to extend that to you tonight as well. If you're struggling in your body by sickness, disease, any kind of disorder, addiction, whatever it is, give us the chance to minister to you and agree with you and see that leave your life tonight by the power of the Spirit of God. Because He's here. He is here. He is here. And He's not withholding. His arms are open wide. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a shout of praise in this place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You are so good. We give you praise. You're so worthy. Yes, you are. You're so worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Before we get out of here, I just want to remind you, Sunday, our communion service, we're going to be taking communion, celebrating new life through water baptism. And we're going to be presenting our special year-end offering that we give every year. Just wanted to remind you of that. That's why these baskets are here. As families, we come up and we present a special offering to the Lord. And we pray over it. And we sow it into kingdom, into kingdom usage for the next year. So that we can see God's kingdom expanded uh, in the earth. Not just here. But every community that this highway touches and even to the uttermost parts of the earth, that's the vision of this house. So just don't miss it. It's going to be a powerful, powerful time. God bless you guys. We love you. See you Sunday. Thank you, Marie.